The first thing is First Thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale on 760 WJR, where Michigan comes to talk. It's a big day. It's a very exciting day, Renee, as uh, today is the our first uh, on-location broadcast here. It is. They let us out to play today. <laughs> they let us out of the bell tower. <laughs> we are here at the uh, palatial, dare I say palatial, Ooh. Startup Nation Studios in downtown Birmingham. And this place is uh, part of my language, freaking sweet. It is sweet. I don't want to leave. You know what? I want to move in here. We're doing our show from here every day. Um, they've got <laughs> Do they know that? <laughs> um, <laughs> they look very concerned in there. They're, they're waving their hands furiously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's a big day. Um, Guy, Lloyd, and Jamie are going to be down here. It's uh, it's kind of like an impromptu Christmas party before we, we, we break for, for the holiday. And uh, it's just a thrill to have a change of scenery, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I know that uh, you are a big fan of summer. You're no fan of winter. And I'm sure you know just some good news. Today is the shortest day of the year, which means <sighs> after today, the days are going to get longer gravy. and longer. And your boat will be back in the, in the water. Your dinghy, as you call it, mm-hmm. will be back in the water in no time. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show after the uh, bottom of the hour news. But uh, we lost the legend overnight, Ken Calvert. Radio legend passed away, and uh, I know you've worked with him. I know some uh, other people here today have worked with him, so we'll uh, we'll get into that later on. But uh, uh, just a towering figure. Yeah, unbelievable news. Uh, found out late last night, and just a real shocker. And uh, I think a little serendipity. Uh, he, I guess, he retired ten years ago to the day that he passed away. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. So a little. Uh, I don't know if you believe if you believe in fate and signs, um, you know, a, a little bookend. But we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, in the meantime, ten hostages are coming home to America. Yeah, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, the Biden administration. Uh, I, I'm sorry, you know, let's let's start with Venezuela. The Biden yeah, administration. It, yeah. I'm sorry, the Biden administration has released a close ally of the Venezuelan president, Nicolas Maduro, in a swap for jailed Americans. Alex Saab, who was arrested on a U.S. warrant for money laundering in 2020, uh, was released from custody Wednesday. In exchange, Maduro will free some, if not all, of the roughly dozen U.S. citizens who remain in prison in Venezuela. On Friday and again on Monday, two docket entries were filed under seal in the long dormant criminal case out of federal court in Miami, an indication that a behind the scenes deal was in the works. The deal between uh, Washington and Venezuela represents the U.S. government's latest bid to improve relations and bring back imprisoned Americans. The move likely to be the largest release of American prisoners since an October 2022 deal uh, that freed seven comes just weeks after the U.S. agreed to temporarily suspend some sanctions after Maduro's socialist government and a faction of its opposition formally resolved to work together uh, on a series of basic conditions for the next presidential election. Saab's release would be seen as a major concession to Maduro, the South American country's authoritarian leader, who is, is himself the target of a $15 million U.S. reward for anyone bringing him to New York to face drug trafficking charges. Yeah, and I believe the last number I heard were 10 Americans were released um, for the one Venezuelan prisoner. And uh, it's nice to be on the uh, the positive side of the ratio. It seems like 
the last few times we've had uh, uh, hostages or prisoners released, uh, we had to give, uh, you know, a, a few away to get one back. So it's good right. to have a 10 to 1 ratio for once. Right. I, I feel like we face a lot of backlash lately in these dealings. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it seems like whenever we bring someone home from Russia, we either have to give them two or three people for one person and, and someone who's like very, very dangerous. Right. Of course, uh, you know, for the three Americans that were freed from Hamas, we had to give, uh, you, you know, how many uh, of theirs back. So sure. it's it's nice to be on the uh, plus side of the ratio for once. And um Hopefully, you know, hopefully the next person to come home is is, is Paul Whelan from Russia. Um, but but a little good news right before the holidays. Uh, we're learning more about the three hostages that were accidentally killed by the Israeli army. Um, they escaped captivity five days before after their captors were killed in an airstrike. And Hamas's top leaders are traveling to Cairo to take part in ceasefire negotiations. But I have a feeling we probably won't know if they're close until we actually have a deal. Because I think it feels like the last time it seemed like there's no deal, there's no deal, then boom, all of a sudden there's a deal. You know what? I had to literally look at this last minute before I went to bed to keep up with what was going on. Right. Uh, It's so hard. It it literally feels like this is changing hour by hour. Well, now you got the uh, director of the CIA talking to Israel's, uh, their their intelligence, uh, top intelligence officer, so... Uh, hopefully uh, we get something here where we can get more uh, people back from Hamas and, yeah. and back home. Um, there, uh, there there could be a lot of uh, very powerful people who are very uh, nervous very soon. Yeah, a federal judge has ordered the public disclosure of the identities of more than 150 people mentioned in a mountain of court documents related to the late financer Jeffrey Epstein, saying that most of the names were already public and that many had not objected to the release. The people whose names are being disclosed, including sex abuse victims, litigation witnesses, Epstein's employees, and even some people with only a passing connection to the scandal, have until January 1st to appeal the order signed Monday by Judge Loretta Preska. Many of the records related to the lawsuit were publicly released in past years, but on Monday, the judge made the determinations about some portions of the records that were initially withheld on potential privacy grounds and what can be made public about certain people mentioned in the records. In many instances, she noted that individuals had given media interviews or that their names had previously emerged publicly in various ways, including at trials two years ago of Epstein's associate and former girlfriend, Giseline Maxwell. Uh, Preska concluded that some portions of the records should remain confidential, including those identifying people who were children when they were sexually abused by Epstein and had tried to maintain their privacy. So a lot of these names we do already know, but there's going to be some that we don't. Well, and, uh, you you know, obviously we've seen a lot of misinformation going around uh, on who actually has been named Mm -hmm. uh, by past victims of Epstein and who hasn't. Uh, You remember Virginia Guffrey, she was uh, one of the underage girls that was being trafficked. Uh, The only people she's named, and I say only because there's a lot of people, but not as much as who's out there. Uh, Former New Mexico mayor, uh, governor, I'm sorry, Bill Richardson, who has passed away. Prince Andrew, that was the big. That that, was the big one. That was the big thing. Uh, Some financier named Glenn Dubin, uh, former Senator George Mitchell, a scientist named Marvin Minsky, modeling agent Jean, named Jean-Luc Brunel, and uh, another unnamed prince, another unnamed foreign president, and another well-known prime minister. Everyone else, everyone else who, you know, you see in the memes or, or you know, in these, these, these fake news stories, they haven't been named yet. So it's going to be quite a little black book. Yeah, well, and, it, you know, last time 
they 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 released these, I, I think we all were expecting something more seismic, right? Mm-hmm. We were expecting bigger names, people who are still, um, you know, in power when it comes to government and 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 in business and stuff. And uh, it just didn't materialize back then. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I think it was over 100 names, I think, that yeah. are coming out mm-hmm. in 2024. Um, the University of Michigan, they've received a notice of allegations from the NCAA regarding level one and level two violations having to do with recruiting violations during the COVID-19 dead period. Jim Harbaugh faces four level two violations for having contact with recruits during the dead period and watching practices via Zoom, among a few other things. Uh, Those are the lower level allegations. The one he's really in trouble for was lying to investigators and not cooperating with them when they were looking into those allegations. And uh, so if you remember earlier on in the season, Michigan, they self-imposed a three-game suspension on itself. That's the first one, not the one at the end of the season against Ohio State and Penn State. And they were hoping to receive some leniency from the NCAA, who could still impose their own disciplinary measures. And, uh, I mean, if it's a suspension, I don't think it would be that much of a punishment because if they could get through the toughest part of their schedule. I was going to say, this is small potatoes, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know if they would just get another slap on the hand, another few game suspension for Jim Harbaugh and then put Sharon Moore in there and, and not be, miss a beat or if they're going to um, punish them more severely. So I guess I guess we'll see what materializes. But I remember back when um, Michigan self-imposed that suspension on themselves during the easier part of their schedule people said well hey this this might not help them escape punishment from the ncaa and and, and that's kind of the second part of the story so all right uh live from downtown birmingham the startup nation studios it's first thing mike parsons renee vitale on wjr and we are live from downtown birmingham the startup nation studios Right, uh, the second floor of that really cool Walgreens over on Woodward. Yeah, you would never know that it's here. But it is is—it is a broadcasting palace. And it is a gem. And uh, it, what's really cool, too, is that uh, we, we have the trailblazers here with us today. <laughs> Jeff Sloan, Mark Pastoria, them along with Kristen Kujawa. They're the ones who started this time slot, the 5 a.m. time slot. And uh, let me ask you, gentlemen, do you miss getting up this early? <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you. Actually, I miss doing the show. I really do. There's something really special about the show. You know, being up at this hour kind of gets you out of your normal routine, right? I mean, this is not the kind of thing you do unless uh, unless you're crazy enough to do a, a love morning radio right. like we all do. Cool. You but want the, it back? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. yeah. I, I loved it. I really did. We can do Mondays. Wednesdays and Fridays. You guys can do Tuesdays and Thursdays. No, joking aside, though, uh, I mean, you guys have been so gracious yeah. um, when you guys have stepped back and, and, and kind of turned this, this time slot over to Renee and us. Uh, the first day I did the show, the first message I got was from Mark telling me how he enjoyed Aww. it. And, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's nice to kind of have that camaraderie. Uh, between, um, you know, and the passing of the torch, so to speak. We need to get a picture of us. We do. We do need to get a picture. Uh, just to put just to put the rumors of a beef to rest. <laughs> right. But, no east side, west side story yeah. thing going on here. Yeah. But, Jeff, you have built a beautiful facility yeah, out gorgeous. here. And you've been... You've been at this for a while. Um, you started as Startup Nation on WJR on the weekends. Now it's right. Let's Go Michigan. And, you know, you've been in the business incubation game for how long? Oh, uh, probably 30 years now. Yeah. 
And so, you know, obviously a big part of growing business now is 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 content creation. For sure. When did you kind of see the, the, the tight turning of that and decide to make yeah. that pivot? Well, I'd like to be able to say I saw it. It was yeah. a strategic move. It was all part of the plan, right? It just, I think... Uh, First of all, I love radios. I love AM radio, mm -hmm. talk radio. There's something magical. It's a romance. And there, you know what? There really is. Mm -hmm. There's something magical about connecting with your audience, about having the ability to be on the mic and have a voice, have mm -hmm. an opinion, right? Bring it. Bring the news or the information to your audience your way. It's such a cool thing. And um, so I think it's that love of and respect of AM radio, talk radio, matched with, uh, you're absolutely right, content creation, mm -hmm. the ability to produce content and then have your business be found as a result of pushing out great content uh, yeah. and doing it right, SEO done right, and so on and so on. We could go layers deep, but you got it, Mike. Yeah, well, you're definitely doing it right around here. And so, I, I mean, how uh, how 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 busy is this place? I mean, what are some of the big projects that you yeah. you you have uh, uh, that you have coming out of here? Yeah, so there's really a dual thing going on here. One is, as we've just talked about, producing good radio content mm -hmm. that happens here. Beyond that, though, the really the core, the main business is the incubation business of startup companies. So ideas come our way. We generate ideas internally. Those that really come rise to the top, meet the criteria after doing some vetting, those are the businesses we begin to invest in, invest resources, people, money, and all the rest to make them go. And then those businesses grow up, and they hopefully, hopefully become something really valuable and meaningful. You know, I like to think of myself as a bit of an ideas guy. Um, an ideas junkie that gets in it gets into your uh, DNA it That's does yeah. now once you get past the idea stage I, I'm clueless so I'll give you one for free okay, <laughs> okay. the 99 cent Coney finder it's oh. an app because there, there seems every day there seems to be some restaurant that has a 99 cent Coney special you have an app it's Friday. You type in your zip code, and it shows you all the places where you can get a 99-cent Coney. So that's your idea? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's another <laughs> shop just so like ours idea, right huh? down the street. <laughs> that, uh, we're, we're a little tapped out these yeah. days. But I, do, I do like the idea, though, Mike. You know what? Run with it. You know what? We'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle that? back on that. Get back to me on that one. So no, that's no, no. your Listen, idea. The yeah. funniest thing sometimes, though, you guys, guys, listen, I got to tell you, sometimes the craziest ideas are those that end up working. Yeah. So, well, Jeff, you know, thank you so much for, um, <laughs> Renee can't keep a The Coney face. Finder. Hey, the Coney. you heard it here first. Right. Uh, you can have it for free because I don't need to make money. I just want to be able to find where the free Coney, where the 99 cents exactly. are. Who are we yeah. kidding? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for hosting us. Thank you for this beautiful facility and, uh, and, and, and blazing a trail for Renee and I to do whatever we do from five to six. Love it. You guys are great. You're doing a great job. Thanks for uh, doing this, doing the hour uh, the, the kind of giving it the kind of respect and quality that uh, it deserves. Good Aww, job, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Now I can't take over the uh, the business beat for you though because I'm clueless. Yeah, so. yeah, Thank yeah, well. goodness. <laughs> so every every morning at seven twelve. One, one of the morning. lessons you got to learn is stay in your lane. Right. That's right. Stay in your lane. That's right. That is your yeah. lane. Yeah, Go ahead. Is, that's my lane. All right, guys. Great to have you. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, and unfortunately, we 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 mentioned at the top of the show we lost the legend Ken Calvert. Yeah. Passed away uh, overnight, and I myself I never really had the privilege of meeting him. To to me. He was always one of these just just towering figures. Ah, oh, that voice.
on the Mount Rushmore of, of, of rock radio yes. here in Detroit, right? And yeah. he was the PA announcer through the whole Bad Boys era, which, yep. you know, is a hell of a career in and it's of itself. How lucky were we to get to enjoy that uh, talent, that powering voice on Detroit airwaves? And he did a, he, I mean, he was so versatile. Not only was he a legendary rock jock, he did a couple of years on WJR doing a talk show. Yep. And uh, another local legend in the music scene that we're working with is, is Mark Pastoria. And, you know, Mark, you have spent a lot of time in a lot of bands. Um, you and your brother in Adrenaline going on to D.C. Drive. You've had a, a, a couple of songs on the soundtrack and, and moving up the rock radio charts. And you, you, you knew Ken yourself, right? Yeah, very well. We've known Ken for about 35 years. He was a great guy. He was the go-to guy in Detroit, right, uh, when we got signed to Capitol uh, EMI, he was very instrumental in helping pick which songs might be the single. Wow. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, he and he, he had to be pretty important to a lot of ba up-and-coming bands at that time, especially here in the Detroit scene. Yeah, up-and-coming bands and the bands that were already popular, the Aerosmiths and Seeger and, you know, wow. everybody wanted to get their, they wanted to be a hit. You had to come through Detroit. Yeah. And so Detroit is so well known for its rock radio. It's it's yep. the best radio in the country. And Ken was one of those, you know, trailblazers mm -hmm. like uh, uh, Arthur Penhallow, uh, Doug Podell, yep. Ken yep. Calvert, Jim Johnson, all those yep. guys. So, so and, and that was Carl exactly Coffee. Carl yeah. Coffee, right. And that yep. was my exact Mount Rushmore when it came to rock radio. Right. You guys have played with a ton of people. Yeah. Uh, throughout the years. Who 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 is your favorite? Uh, who is your favorite act to either uh, play with, or you, you know you've you've recorded a lot of great people as well. Who like who, who, name one person or one group that was your absolute favorite to work with in in, in all your years of music? I, I think it had to be Aerosmith. That was fun. We did a couple shows with them. It was it was you know you listen to them in high school, right? And, and then one day you're sitting on the stage with them, so you're hanging out doing sound check and. I just want to cool. go hang with him to after we get off the air and hear hear Mark's stories for uh -oh. hours. When's when's the book coming yeah, out, Mark? No you need to, you need to write a book. Yeah, yeah. I want that one on my coffee table. Yeah, there was quite well, a few. Well, rest in peace, Ken Calvert, yeah. uh, an absolute giant. Like I said, I um I, I never had the pleasure of meeting him, but the first the first thing I saw when I opened up my Facebook feed this morning were were two friends that I used to work with just talking about what a great guy he was, yeah. how, um, you know, how, when they were, when they were young jocks in the business, he was so welcoming to them. And, yeah. um, you know, Renee, you know, this, uh, when you're, when you're young and you're in this business and you kind of get your break and you feel like you don't really belong or know what you're doing yeah. to have a veteran or a legend, um, not only have a kind word for you, but just to just just to treat you like like you belong there is is so validating. Yeah, and I remember listening to to Ken Calver and uh, you know listening to jocks like him when you're you're trying to become a DJ. Yeah, and and listening to them do their break and and mimicking that same break, saying I I can do that. Right, I want to be that one day. Right. So. Yeah, you kind of you kind of mimic who you like, and then yeah. eventually you kind of find your you own. Find your own. Yeah, you find your own right. method. So. Rest in peace, Ken. And uh, yeah, even if he never spent any time on, on JR, I mean, he's one of those people that just just transcends radio stations. Right. So, um, <laughs> now uh, switching gears here, 
Uh, the Denver Zoo has given Maury Povich a little <laughs> bit of a career renaissance here. Yeah, the Denver Zoo is home to a new father, and they had a special guest help them make the big announcement. On Monday, the zoo teased that the DNA results were in and that they were planning to announce the father of their four-month-old baby, Sumatran orangutan Siska. The paternity debate was between 30-year-old Barani and 16-year-old Jaya. Then on Tuesday, the zoo made the big announcement with an iconic guest. Fresh off receiving the Daytime Emmy's Lifetime Achievement Honor, television host Maury Povich, dressed in a suit and a bow tie, announced who Siska's father is. Now we want to thank the Denver Zoo for everything they do. But this is really important, important, said Povich, before pulling the results out of the envelope. When it comes to orangutan four-month-old Siska, Barani, you are the father. The video then shows the staff at the zoo cheering for the 30-year-old father. Siska becomes the seventh orangutan. Did they give him a cigar? I don't know. Probably. I don't have no idea. How cute is that, though? And good for Maury Povich. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's. Some people, you know, on the entertainment business who are known for something and then they shy away from it. Yeah. No, he leans right into yeah. it. Like, I don't know if you've ever interviewed somebody and they're they're really famous for something. Yeah. And then they don't want to talk. Right. About no, it. I want to talk about my right. new project. Yeah, exactly. Right. Maury Povich is not that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, man, talk shows in the 90s. That was a moment, wasn't it? That was great. Everyone had their niche, right? You had Maury with the uh, with the paternity test. You had Jerry Springer with the with the fights. You yep. had uh, Sally Jesse Raphael and with her glasses. Yeah, and and the uh, uh, the troubled teenagers and yep. the and the, uh, the drill sergeant screaming at them. Oh yeah, I forgot about and that. And it's funny, all these shows started off as like intelligent current events yep. news, and then they realized, look. People like uh, people throwing chairs and taking off their shirts and, yeah. and fighting and paternity tests. So we're going to lean into that. What do you that. think Connie Chung thought of that? You know, it's fun, Right, because she was a legit news anchor. Right, on and CBS. she's married to him. And they actually met anchoring the news somewhere together. Right. And, do you uh, think at first she was like, come on, you're better than this? <laughs> and then she realized the paycheck you yeah, were getting for doing this yeah. crash. It's like, look. I will get back to talking about the deficit and inflation as soon as everyone gets sick of these paternity tests. And they just never did. Right. And they never did. All right. We are live from uh, Startup Nation in downtown Birmingham. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to get you ready for JR Morning and... uh, and uh, I, I don't know who is dressed the most festive. We'll, we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that coming up next. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. All right, and we've moved to the big room here. Welcoming Kai. The big room. The big room. This is Vegas. You've moved to the big room. <laughs> we made it from the. We made it to the side stage to the headliner, baby. I knew riding your coattails would uh, would would pay off one day. We are here uh, live from Startup Nation, the uh, downtown Birmingham studios. And man, this uh, this place is sweet. It's amazing, man. It really is. It, it really is amazing. I feel like we're on a TV set here, and <laughs> you know, Renee, I. Didn't, I was not prepared for just how well dressed everybody is. I, I, if I can go e entertainment for a while, I, if you had me pick between Nick Roddy, Guy Gordon, Jamie Edmonds, you and Lloyd Jackson for who's the best dressed, I don't know who. I don't know who to pick. <laughs> I do like uh, Guy's candy cane pants. Yeah, Guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pants. Yeah. Guy wowed us with his candy cane pants, Lloyd. Lloyd always kills it, no matter what. He's got the very festive. Uh, 
plaid holiday pants, pants going on. Yeah. Jamie's got the, the awesome uh, fur going it's on there. Red, yeah. It's red, yeah. It's red fur. And it's not real fur. It's, yeah. not, oh. it's faux yeah. fur. For all those fur. folks out yeah, there, this right. is faux. I'm picketing outside now. Dare I say, dare I say very Zsa Zsa Gabor? It is very Zsa and uh, the piece. Got his holiday sweater, his ugly holiday oh, sweater. The Nick's sweater is good. Yeah. What is that? Peanuts. Peace de la resistance. Yeah. Nick, why don't you get up Charlie and give us Brown. a little twirl? He's wearing. Nick is Aww. wearing a Snoopy with the Christmas and tree. He yep. is wearing a really a nice sport coat over top. A tasteful, a tasteful brown blazer yes. with some slacks and a uh, ho- uh, Charlie Brown Christmas sweater. But oh. we have to point out the fact that Mike Parsons is in a suit. suit. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Tie. Well, I wish with I a tie. You look well, nice. Thank yes. you. Yeah, I'm going to need three stents in my heart from that. <laughs> I because know. this is the shock. Well, you know, the boss said no sweatpants, so <laughs> nothing else was clean. It's <laughs> <laughs> my, my funeral suit. We and need to get a picture of all of us. Yeah, this yeah. is amazing. Everyone looks great. And we're here. This is kind of like sort of like a year-end Christmas party for the, the who's who here in Detroit. Well, it's also yeah. kind of a coming-out party for First Thing, your yeah. show, yes. and JR Morning. And kind yeah. of the the reboot that we did this summer, and just kind of you know we got all the kinks out. And right, I, I think so. well, you guys well, I think did. We did. I, you <laughs> know, it may go off the rails today, <laughs> uh, but you know it's it's kind of a celebration of a of a new start to the mornings here. So it's even fun. Renee's nails are festive. Oh my god! Oh, thank you, my candy cane. I see that nails. from here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. You're welcome. By, that's the the plus of having a female here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know us men. <laughs> it's it's just wasted. I on was us. waiting for you to notice, Mike. Yeah, that's like this for a few days. Hey, did you paint Thanks, your nails? Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, guy, I know you're going to be talking about this a- at the beginning of the show, but I know you were uh, you were pretty good friends with with Ken Calvert, who uh, passed away uh, ten years to the day that he retired from radio. Yeah, Kenny. I mean, what a what an amazing voice, an amazing personality. Kind of invented. The whole rave up at the Pistons game yes. thing that a PA announcer had made. When when J- Lloyd du- Joe Dumars Joe going to the hoop and it's Joe du- du- Dumars. Yeah, I mean uh, it, it, he was. I mean the energy that he built in that building for the Pistons games was amazing. But I mean whether it was on Riff Wheels or uh, Jr. in the afternoon. Right, right. He did wow. a stint here from noon to three pre-rush days. He did. And, uh, when Dr. Laura was still on. That's right. Wow. <laughs> that's right. Didn't get from three to whenever. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful man. And it's, I just – Annie, my heart is just aching for you today. She is such a sweetheart. And uh, Ken was a great guy. We we shared a lot of space in our days at mm. Broadcast House at Channel 7 because Riff was on that's right. the same – uh, footprint. Yeah, and, and I know you're gonna have you have some stories for him. Uh, so you know I'm not. I w- w- we're gonna let you do that. Make sure you tune in. Guy's got a lot of great stories about about Ken Calvert. But uh, but yeah, I mean uh, you know speaking of his wife, one of the first things that I read in the news release that she said that she was feeling the love from everybody, which is great. Yeah, and uh, uh, like I was telling Renee, uh, I never I never uh, had the pleasure of meeting him. But the first thing I, I read when I opened my Facebook this morning. Uh, with two or three people uh, that I used to work with um, who don't like anybody who said <laughs> <laughs> who talked about what a great guy it's Ken true Kelvin not was. a whiff of ego on this guy he was just the, the nicest man and Annie was ever present yeah and she was delightful is delightful and um, he's he suffered with some uh, horrible back problems and a lot of pain and th- which led to his uh, really premature retirement he was just a young guy when he I mean, 62, 
that's young to me. Yeah, uh, that's young. For sure. It is young. Uh, but young. this is a small fraternity we have in this business, and he was one of the the, the best brothers. Yeah. Ever. So I know, guys, got some great personal stories. On top of that, we've got a uh, a, a heck of a guest list from now till nine o'clock. So stay tuned. Jr. Morning coming up next. Reports coming out of Russia this week say that Vladimir Putin is ready to begin talks to possibly end the war against Ukraine. So do we take him at his word or is he bluffing? Robert Reed, editor-in-chief of Stars and Stripes, talks about it with Kevin and Tom on All Talk. Vladimir Putin seems to be willing, Kevin, uh, to somehow come to some sort of agreement to end this war in Ukraine. I'm not sure if people are buying it or what he really wants or if this is the real deal or not. Well, Tom, war is hell, especially in the winter in Ukraine. It's 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 tough. They talked about uh, this last winter, uh, what they were going through, how difficult this was going to be. Um, and uh, here we are, another winter. The war is still going on. Uh, is Vladimir Putin serious about this? Uh, let's bring in Robert Reed, editor in chief, Stars and Stripes, who's also spent 12 years reporting in the Middle East. Good morning. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you? Uh, good. I, I appreciate you, you being with us today. Um, before we talk about uh, Putin's uh, comments, how, how is the war going day to day? We don't hear that much about it. Uh, who's making advancements? Uh, you know, is, is one side claiming that they're, they're, they're ready to win this thing or are both dug in for what looks like it's something that's going to go on for several more years? They pretty much dug in for the reasons you, that you said earlier. It's the winter, and winter is very difficult to operate in. And in that part of Europe, um, not only the snow and the, the mud, but uh, cloud cover, which can affect the drones, et cetera. So what's happening on the ground, as best anybody can figure out, is the Russians are making some incremental gains in certain parts of, of, the, uh, of the front line. Um, Ukrainians are holding on and others. These gains are pretty incremental. They're tiny villages to tiny villages, and you don't read about that very much because it's uh, not a great distance uh, advance, and who, you know, who's heard of the villages except for the people who lived in them? So what we are in now, I think, is something like a World War I-style stalemate, you know, from 1915 and 16 during the the period in which the Allies and the and the Germans are just throwing ordnance at each other and making small attempts at gains, but not really uh, seizing any sort of tactical advantages. The Russians and the Ukrainians are probably basically hunkered down and waiting for a situation in a couple of months to, you know, to change the situation on the battlefield. So when Vladimir Putin expresses a willingness for peace talks, is, is, is Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, take him seriously? Should the rest of the world take him seriously? Well, here in Washington, there's a lot of skepticism about this for a couple of reasons. The feeling in Washington is that that uh, Putin is essentially waiting to uh, to see who wins the presidency in November next next year. Um, therefore, to see who's going to have to deal with, because he really thinks that that uh, it'll be the United States as much as, as the Ukrainians who uh, set the terms for uh, negotiations. In the meantime, well, yeah, if anybody wants to take him up on it, he's willing to talk. But, you know, when he made that offer, he also put a lot of conditions yeah. on this and made a lot of other statements that, yeah, you can, you know, I'm willing to talk to you, but you're going to have to understand we're not giving up any of what we consider our 
you know, vital national interest, well, what's that? Right. Um, and I found so, that strange but, because, you know, these are, you know, the, some of the outlets are saying, yeah, he's talking about potential peace talks. But Putin, I mean, when he makes this, it was a very long press conference. And he says, yeah, peace for sure. Peace in Ukraine will only be possible, though, when Russia achieves its goals of denazification, demilitarization and, you know, Ukraine's neutral status, all that stuff that he pretty much wanted when the war first started. So I guess has his position really changed at all? No, it has not. Um, I have a lot of friends, uh, you know, who cover Russia and who are in some cases, Russian themselves, and they have a feeling that Putin has always thought in his mind he was winning the war, that, uh, you know, regardless of what advances the Ukrainians were making, regardless of uh, the amount of aid they're getting, and regardless of the PR hit that Putin takes in the West, at the end of the day, he knows or thinks he knows that he's going to prevail, and he's going to be the one to set the conditions. He's you know, the war is, is surprisingly popular in Russia. Um, yes, there's opposition, but it's very scattered and um, really, you know, it's limited to kind of a bubble of people who never have liked Putin. He can still turn to uh, large seg- sections of the population for, uh, for troops. He's pulling people out of Siberia and other places, people who probably aren't really aware of a lot of the details of the war. Um, and he's, you know, he's got a larger population than the Ukrainians. No, no significant uh, opposition to worry about. And the Russians, the way they fought wars for hundreds of years, they have a remarkable ability to suffer casualties and keep going. You know, what do you think of the um, his kind of boasting about he's got a very significant military presence still? He says he's got six hundred seventeen thousand. Russian troops are currently engaged in Ukraine, but, you know, the U.S. intelligence said, well, he's actually probably lost about 90 percent of the forces that he had prior to the war starting, both in deaths and injuries as well. Where do you think the reality lies? You think the U.S.'s intelligence is accurate or is is Putin uh, more accurate? Well, you know, it's like looking at the elephant and, you know, feeling the elephant rather with your eyes closed and coming to different conclusions. Um, it seems pretty obvious that although the numbers that the U.S. is throwing out may be high, he has lost a significant amount. Uh, we hear that from people with, you know, contacts in Russia. Um, the, the Army today is not, the, you know, as professional or as well-trained or as skilled as the Army that went in because those guys have been killed and wounded. But he's still got people. He's still got the bodies. And, well, and he's not facing an army, you know, that's not suffering from the same problems. Yeah. I'm wondering how the uh, border closures announced by Finland, the threats from Hungary, how how that's impacting the asylum seeker situation and and the relations with Russia. Well, the Finns particularly, you know, pretty pretty angry at him. Um, You know, as we well know, I mean, this whole issue of the asylum wave is a huge problem in the United States and Europe and many other parts of the world, and the reactions are much the same. They feel they're being flooded by people who don't belong there, and the Finns feel that the Russians are, you know, as the Lithuanians did, uh, you know, last year, thinks the Russians are rounding up uh, immigrant labor from uh, 
from Russia and pushing them into uh, uh, the neighboring countries to create political problems for, uh, you know, for NATO member states. Um, the Finns had the Finns used to be a part of Russia years, you know, decades ago. Uh, then for all, all through the Cold War, they were neutral. Now they've joined NATO. So um, the relationship between those countries has, you know, has been in flux. They, the Finns have come out, you know, strongly on the side now of the West and have joined the West. Yeah. And it's only logical that Putin's going to do what he can to uh, create problems for this so Finns think maybe we were better off before.